invite you to turn in your Bibles or your, your phones or your iPads to uh, Matthew chapter 21. We're continuing our study in the works of Jesus, the actions that Jesus took that Matthew records to show that the authority with which he taught was actually the authority that God had given him, and it was unlike anybody else's authority, and that he came as the Son of God uh, to bring redemption, to bring healing. The songs we just sang were wonderful. Uh, you're thinking about the, the, the healing from heaven, and that's what Jesus came to do. And so the work that he did uh, verified that the words he said were authoritative, and we'll be looking at those works right up to uh, Easter Sunday, and including Easter Sunday, and then after that, we will begin looking at the people of Jesus. We'll begin doing some self-reflection on what is God calling us to in response to the authority and the work of Jesus in our lives. So before we get to the text, uh, I want to talk to the dads for just a minute. So if you have little kids, think about your life right now. If you used to have little kids, you can maybe have to go back a little bit in your memory. Let's pretend it's a really hot summer afternoon. And uh, that's hard to uh, imagine this time of year. Let's, uh, let's uh, think that uh, we have two or three little ones, and it's been pretty miserably hot. And they've pretty, been pretty miserable, and they've been wanting to stay in the house because it's air-conditioned, and mom needs to get them out of the house. So mom calls you and says, you need to go to the store, and you need to buy a kiddie pool. And you need to make sure we have a hose. We're going to fill it up so that the kids can get some relief from the heat. So you go to the store. You're diligent, you're a loving husband and father, you want to get it right, and you're going down the aisle and you're looking at the kiddie pools and you see this box on the shelf. And you look at that and you go, what could be more fun, what could be more energizing? You call your wife, you say, I've got it, I'm walking out the door, not only for our kids, but my goodness, call all the neighborhood kids because there's going to be plenty of room for everybody. And then you get home and you set it up and your daughter looks at you like this. Ever been the victim of false advertising? <laughs> Ever had somebody promise you something only to find out that you're radically disappointed? You ever think about what the church advertises? You ever think about, not, not like what we put on the screen, but you ever think about what your life and my life, what we want to say collectively to our community, the promises that we make? We say to somebody, if you come to Green Tree, you'd experience what? I jotted down a few things. That you know what? We, we would like to offer a place where God is worshipped and you can freely explore his grace. It's a place where everyone's welcome and you receive unconditional love. The church is a place where you can hear the truth without someone self-righteously judging you. That this is actually a place where people understand that they're pretty broken. And that they need a Savior and that they're not better than others and they don't kind of look down their spiritual noses at other folks. It's a place that offers new life, both emotional and spiritual healing. Those are some of the promises and I think you could probably come up with your own list and, and add to that or even make mine better. The question is, is that false advertising? Is that really what we have to offer? The passage of scripture we're going to look at this morning uh, is Jesus having what we would consider, perhaps, a harsh reaction to spiritual false advertising, as well as a different kind of false advertising that seems to be somewhat of an odd story. 
Jesus is reacting because it would appear that the, the church in his day, which is called the temple, the place where people gathered to worship, maybe was offering one thing, but perhaps not delivering. How does Jesus react, and what does that teach us about what his calling is on our life collectively as a church known as Green Tree Community Church? Matthew chapter 21, we're starting at verse 12, and we're going to read through verse 22. Hear the word of God. And Jesus entered the temple... And drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold the pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes, those are the, the religious leaders, saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna, son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what they are saying, what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. In the morning, he was, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone. Be glory. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning as we have verbalized it in song singing of your glory and your majesty, singing of your grace and your compassion to broken and sinful people like us. Father, we thank you that your word shines its truth into our life and it, and it leads us uh, nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. Father, one of the things we, we sang this morning, uh, one of the things that was uh, hopefully a prayer that was on our lips was uh, dealing with the shame in our life dealing with uh, just looking at our lives and knowing that we, we, we just are never going to, to live up. We're always going to fall short. And yet, Father, wanting to be authentic people, wanting to be men and women of faith, longing to have a relationship with you that is, is truly genuine and that is life-giving, not just that we could hoard that for ourselves, but that we could share it with others. Father, as we think about sinking our roots down deeper into this community and in a new building, Lord, not for us, but for the opportunity you give us to build your kingdom, to share with others. So, Lord, we don't want to be guilty of false advertising, but I'm quite certain there are times when I am. I'm quite certain there are times when we are. So we need your word to speak into our lives this morning. And it is that for which we pray. Lord Jesus, forgive my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want to teach us this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. Let me give you the, the sermon in a sentence. It's broken up really into, into three different phases that, that are interconnected. I think we'll see as we go through the passage. Sermon in a sentence is this. Jesus' zeal for God's glory 
commitment to the truth, and his compassion for mankind must be our, the foundation of our life and our ministry. So the things we're going to look at this morning is Jesus' zeal for God's glory. We're also going to look at his commitment to the truth, and then we're going to see how that actually is worked out in his life by compassion for the people around him. And that is what he's giving us as a gift for the foundation for our lives and for our ministries, whether it's individually, uh, when we're out uh, doing life throughout the week in our homes, and our schools, neighborhoods, businesses, or when we are collectively gathered as uh, Green Tree Community Church. I'm going to do something I haven't done. In fact, I went back and looked at some of my sermons. I can't remember the last time that I had uh, the same letter starting each word for each point in my sermon, but I have five T's this morning. So we're going to go through the T's this morning uh, in order to see what Jesus is up to. First, in, ch in uh, chapter 21, verse 12, I say Jesus turns. He's going to overturn and make a mess out of the buying and selling in the temple. He drove out all who sold and bought. He overturned the tables of the money changers, the seats of those who sold pigeons. This is probably uh, a passage you're, uh, you're, with which you're familiar if you've been in church at all. This is after the triumphal entry. This is the last week of Jesus' life. So everything we look at between now and Easter for the next few Sundays will be in that last week. Uh, and Jesus is going to worship. He's going to the temple. Now he's there during the Passover week. If you go back to John's gospel, the very first chapter, you remember when John the Baptist sees Jesus, what does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So it, it's not, it ought not be lost on us that the Lamb of God is coming to Jerusalem during Passover week, and he's going to the temple to worship, and the temple sacrificial system was still in place. And in the days of Jesus, something terrible had happened in the sacrificial system. As pilgrims from the, the nation of Israel, Jews, came from all over the world to Jerusalem, they were required during Passover to offer a one-year-old lamb without blemish or without spot. Or if they couldn't afford that, something as inexpensive as a pigeon could be used for their sacrifice. But the idea was that they would come to Jerusalem and they would worship God by offering the sacrifice, which would remind them that only God takes away sin, that only God forgives, that only God restores. But as they came to the temple, they found something interesting had been developed by the priests who led in the worship. And what had happened was the priest said, you have to buy your lamb from us. So let's just pretend for the sake of just to kind of throw some numbers out to get our minds around this, that a lamb costs $100, that that was the normal going price. To go and buy one from the, the priests, which were the approved lambs, if you brought one that wasn't approved, the priest said, sorry, get rid of it, you got to get another one. Let's say that that one cost $125, a little markup there, right? But if you didn't buy it from that priest, it wasn't going to be good and you would waste your money and you'd end up spending more. But then when you came and you pulled out your wallet, let's say you were, you were from the city of Corinth, you would pull out a, a, a currency that, that would be good in Corinth, and the priest would say, I'm so sorry, we don't accept that currency here. But if you go over here to this booth right around the corner, there's an exchange table there, and you can exchange it for temple currency. And guess what? They jacked up the currency rates too. So what the priests were advertising was come and worship God. Come and experience God's grace and forgiveness. What the priests were actually practicing was a corner on the market where they were lining their pockets. And the people had no choice but to go along with the system. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to sacrifice. 
Some of you uh, have heard via my uh, Facebook posting that our daughter Katie is expecting her first child. They're expecting in early September, which is perfect timing for us as a family because that's when we're moving into the new building. So it all works out really well on, uh, on my schedule. But uh, Cindy and I have been talking about this, and so we have three grandkids, but they're all with Nathan. So this is the first one with the daughter, right? So this is where the mom of the, of the daughter, she's the one that's got to be there, right? But you don't know when the baby's coming. So I called Delta Airlines the other day, and I said, you know, what happens if I, you know, need a ticket that I buy, you know, like tomorrow? And the person on the other hand went, <laughs> well, you know, it's going to be a little expensive. Right, because you buy a ticket last minute. I'm like, well, we got this grandchild thing going on. Is there any way I can buy the ticket in advance and change the date? And they're like, oh, absolutely. Just buy a first-class refundable ticket that's only $3,000, and you could fly any day you want to. I'm like, <laughs> click. Right? But if Cindy wants to go when the baby's born, guess what? Y'all need to give a lot. No, she <laughs> Tom's got to save his money, right? Because you can't swim to Hawaii, and you can't take a boat to Hawaii. Says she lives in Honolulu. I, they got me, and I'm going to have to pay the price, and no, no choice. The priesthood, who is supposed to be saying, the Lord's got you, come and, and worship him and experience his grace, were actually uh, bilking the people out of money because they wanted something very different than the worship of God. But I had to set all that up to say, look at Jesus' reaction. What does Jesus do? Jesus literally turns the tables. He literally turns the tables over. Why? Because he has a passion and a zeal, not just for the people being mistreated, but even more importantly, for the glory of his Father. He says, this is to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. As Jesus says, enough's enough. I'm not going to tolerate this nonsense. We're going to set things right. But what is driving Jesus above all else, we'll come to his compassion in a moment, but what is driving Jesus above all else is his passion for his Father's glory. If we want to be authentic people of the gospel, we must be zealous for the glory of God. We must long for and desire that his name be lifted up above all else because when that happens, as we see, good things happen to mankind. So Jesus turns. The second thing Jesus does is Jesus, even, even in the middle of his disruption here, he teaches. I just quoted it a second ago, but look with me at verse 13. So as he's, as he's driving them out, what does he say? It is written, my house shall be a house uh, uh, called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. What is Jesus doing? He's pursuing a relentless commitment to the truth. He's telling them what the prophet has said and what was God's intention all along was that the temple be a place where the nations could come and experience healing. And so Jesus loves these folks enough to tell them the truth. He loves the priests enough, the, the, these, these robbers, so to speak, these crooked guys. He loves even them. If you're here this morning, you're like, God couldn't love me. You don't know what's in, in my background. You don't know what, what I've done in my life. My guess is you haven't intentionally built thousands and thousands and thousands of people out of a lot of money so you could get rich. But even if you have, guess what? Jesus loves people like that. Jesus cares enough to tell that person the truth. You're going in the wrong direction. This is to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. He's committed to the truth. He loves us enough to explain that to us. And you have made your worship your own selfish gain. And he offers the opportunity of repentance. 
Jesus picks up on the fact that, that as humans, we can be consumed with what's best for us. And we can lose sight of what's, what's best really in God's eyes. And we get focused on the wrong thing. Uh, probably most of you, if you're old enough, remember the, the comedy movie Ghostbusters. came out in 1984, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. And uh, there's a scene in that where the, where the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man is going to attack New York because of all this terrible stuff that's happened. And, uh, and the Ghostbusters can take care of this problem. And they're brought in front of the, the mayor because everybody thinks they're charlatans. Everybody thinks they're making it up and, and they ought to be tossed in prison. And, and Bill Murray's character looks at the mayor and he says, look, just let us try. Give us a chance to, to take care of this problem. If we fail, we'll go to jail quietly. We won't, we won't, we, we'll, we'll enjoy the rest, he says. But, but if we can take care of this, Vinny, he calls the mayor by his first name, Vinny, you will have saved the lives of millions of registered voters. <laughs> right? Vinny, do what's best for you. Right? And Jesus says to the priest, you think you're doing what's best for you, but you're missing the mark terribly. And Jesus teaches them and gives them the opportunity for repentance. But also notice that while Jesus is doing this, that the needs of, of the common people are not lost on him. Jesus actually reaches out and touches. Look at verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Jesus didn't turn, overturn the temples and scatter the money and let all the animals out of the cages and, and, and cause an uproar in there and look around and go, man, I better get out of here. I better, I better beat a quick retreat or, or they're going to come get me. Jesus causes all of this commotion. He confronts the priest and then he turns around and sees the crowds and he goes and he does what should have been happening in the first place. He offers compassion. He shows mercy in application. In other words, he... he puts himself under the application of what he has just said. He doesn't preach and then practice something else. He practices what he, what he preaches. This is to be a house of prayer. Why? Because people need God. People need healing. People need restoration. And then he turns and he sees those very people. And what does he do? He goes right to them. And he cares for their needs. And Jesus shows you and me, if we are disciples this morning, how the church should function. How we should offer grace and mercy and compassion to everyone around us. I love the fact that it says the blind and the lame came to him. That Jesus, that Matthew points out that these are the most needy people. Think about the needy people in our community. Think about those who don't know Christ. But think about maybe people who can't get to church on Sunday morning for one reason or another. Uh, do we know folks like that? Is there a way we could give them a hand so they can enjoy that fellowship? Think about people that are bereaved. Is there a way that I can offer a kind word? Is there a way that I could extend compassion into their lives? It, it, it means a, a bit of a refocusing from looking at myself and what's best for me to looking with the eyes of God and seeing that Christ calls me to be part of his touch in this community today. While Jesus is exhibiting his mercy... And his compassion, the priests can't seem to, to let it go. They, they can't seem to, to just say, you know what, uh, he's doing the right thing. And so they, they come back at Jesus again. And Jesus literally, my, my fourth year, Jesus literally has to tame them. He, he, he's got to kind of pull the teeth out of the lion, so to speak. He's got to settle them down. 
you would look with me, starting in verse 15. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did. I love that. The, the awe-inspiring, wonderful things that he did. And the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna, son of David. In other words, the children were recognizing that God's Messiah had come. How did the priests respond? They were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? In other words, Jesus, you should know better. You shouldn't let anybody say that about you. That's only to be said about God. And look at what Jesus does. And Jesus confronts them and he says, have you never read? Now, I want you to think about this for a second. When Jesus says, have you never read to a priest, to a scribe, to a Pharisee, they've read. <laughs> There's nothing in the Bible that they haven't read 40 or 50 or 60 or 150 times. These men are steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. They know it backwards and they know it forwards, right? If, if you're the best accountant in St. Louis, it would be me like saying to you, can't you add 2 plus 2? Right? There's an opportunity to be grossly offended, right? And Jesus says, have you not read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise. You see, Jesus confronts their unbelief, and he offers redemption. Because unbelief is always at the heart of the issue. A lot of you know my, my love for uh, media and TV and movies and just learning life's lessons uh, from what we can what we can observe, and uh, I'm watching a show right now, which I'm not going to recommend. It's actually the first year was really good, second year was okay, and this year is really started poorly. It's a movie uh, show called The Americans, and it's about uh, spies, Russian spies embedded into the United States uh, in the Cold War, and this takes place in the early '80s when the Russians had, had invaded Afghanistan and Reagan was president. And this couple, they they're Russian spies, and they grew up in Russia, and they've been been brought here, but they have children now because they've been They've been living in America for quite some time. And the older daughter has just gotten baptized at the local church. And the parents are talking, and they're talking about how they're trying to trick one of their neighbors who, who is an FBI agent. And they, and they talk about how, you know, we're going to offer a little prayer, and, 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 and that's going to fool them because they'll think that we're good religious people. And then they laugh. It's like a belly laugh about how stupid it is to believe in Jesus. That's right where the scribes and Pharisees were that day. They're like, this is, this is nonsensical to think that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus confronts them. He says, scriptures speak to me. Laugh if you want to laugh. Uh, uh, attack me if you want to attack me. But even the children understand God's truth. And he confronts their unbelief and he offers them redemption. He offers them the pathway of life. When Jesus says, have you never read, and he, and, he, and he offers this verse out of Isaiah, what he's saying to them is, make the connection. Follow the logic, and you'll see that what these children are doing are exactly right, and it's offered to you as well. This entire passage is, is filled with grace. And then he leaves the temple. And then we have this really odd deal with a fig tree. And the next morning, Jesus is coming back into the temple and Jesus is now going to tend to his disciples, which is my last T. He's going to kind of shepherd them through a learning experience and make sure that they get the point because Jesus isn't going to be around a whole lot longer. He's in the last week of his life before the crucifixion, and after the crucifixion, he'll only be around, or the resurrection, he'll only be around about another 40 days. So he's bringing the point home. He's tending to his sheep, and here's what happens. In the morning, as he's returning to the city, he became hungry. 
Seeing a fig tree by the wayside, or seeing, you, some of your translations might say, seeing a fig tree at, the, at a distance, all right, he went to it and found nothing on it, only leaves. And then he said to it, may your fruit never come from you again. The fig tree withered at once. The disciples saw it, they marveled. And how did the fig tree wither at once? Jesus said, truly I say to you, this is, or this is the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only have done to the fig tree, but even if you said to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. I want you to notice before we talk about the fig tree for a second, the book ends of what Jesus says. He starts out with faith and he ends up with faith. So there's the clue. What Jesus is describing is a life of faith. So Jesus gives his disciples a visual. He gives them a, a, a picture that they can see. And it is the picture of the fig tree because the fig tree was guilty of the same thing of which the priests were guilty, false advertising. You see, fig trees only bear fruit when there are leaves on the tree. And when the leaves come, the fruit follows immediately. That's how fig trees grow. I don't know why. Um, I'm not a horticulturalist, but in the, in the Middle East, that's how it happens. They were living in a time of year when this story happens when fig trees didn't normally blossom. So when Jesus is walking along and saying from me to the back door, he looks over and he's hungry, his stomach's growling, he'd like something to eat, and he sees a fig tree that has leaves on it. You know, that's odd. A fig tree has leaves, but it's, if it has leaves, it's going to have fruit, and I'm going to grab a couple figs, right? It's saying, I have life to give you. I have nourishment to give you. What were the priests saying? I have life to give you. I have nourishment to give you. But what did they lack? They lacked a life of faith. And so Jesus curses the fig tree. Not that, you know, Jesus may be getting in trouble with, with, the, with the green folks, but, but he, he doesn't do it because he's against creation. He does it because he wants his disciples to understand how paramountly important it is to live a life of faith. The priests advertised a pathway to God, but they lied. They offered to be a tree of life. The tree promises fruit, but it's empty. The priests claimed to be men of faith. That, that promise, that claim was empty. And so Jesus moves his disciple. He tends them. He shepherds them to what? To a life of faith. What's the application for you and for me this morning? I want us to think about the application before we come to the Lord's table because we're actually, I want to take a moment or two uh, for time for prayer for us to consider this individually and to apply it to our own lives. Jesus' reaction, his turning, teaching, touching, taming, tending, all of that was for the disciples' benefit. All of that was for the benefit of his followers. Certainly, the people who were healed benefited also. And maybe they became followers of Jesus that day. But the tree makes one last point. You see, without faith, this is us. It's you and it's me. We may advertise on the outside. We might look great on the outside. But on the inside, if we don't have a life of faith, we're empty. And the tree is the warning. It's the thing that says, stop, wait a minute, take a look at yourself, and make sure you're trusting me by faith. But with faith, which is what Jesus was exercising that day, faith in what his father had sent him to do was the right thing. Faith that he was the son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. With faith, where do you end up? Well, it's our sermon in a sentence. You end up with a zeal and a passion for the glory of God. You end up with a longing to see his name glorified and honored. 
you long to share that with other people, whether you teach it by the way you live or whether you actually verbalize it in a casual conversation or in one of our Sunday school classrooms or in a small group setting. The setting isn't important, but you long to share that truth with others, and you have a commitment to see that it's passed on. Why? Because that's the compassionate thing to do. The gracious thing to do is to bring that truth of God into the brokenness of this world. Jesus says lives of humble faith really are truth and advertisement. Let's pray together. As we go to prayer, I want to invite you. I'm going to take the same uh, opportunity myself. It's a chance for a silent prayer. Think about our lives this morning. Do I, do I look a little more like the, the, the fake advertising or do I have a, a real relationship with the Lord Jesus through faith, through trust. Maybe I have that relationship, but, but maybe there hadn't been a lot of fruit lately. Maybe I've, I've lost sight of the needs around me and I haven't served others well or I haven't been zealous for God's glory and His name or I've, I've strayed from the truth. Wherever we may find ourselves this morning, let me invite you to uh, just think about that and to confess that to God, uh, to accept the opportunity for the warning and to ask God to, uh, to fill you again, to to rekindle perhaps your zeal or, or your love for the truth or, or your compassion for others, wherever you may be this morning. Let's take a moment for silent prayer. Lord Jesus, we bless your name this morning because you love us enough to confront us in, in our falsehood. You don't leave us in our sin. You challenge us. And you show us the pathway of life. Lord, I thank you that as you turned over those temples, you were actually doing something compassionate. You reinforced that by healing those who came to you, and by once again offering to the, to the unbelievers the truth of the gospel. And then you gave the picture to your disciples so they wouldn't miss it. Lord Jesus, help us not to miss it this morning. But by your grace, by your mercy, your, your zeal for your Father's name, your commitment to the truth, and your compassion for mankind, may that be alive and very real in our hearts and minds this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Good morning. My name is John Powers, and I'm an elder here at Green Tree Community Church. Uh, it's my privilege this morning uh, to serve the Lord's Supper. I um, wanted just to uh, take a minute and, and just reflect on Tom's message and, and the institution of the Lord's Supper. Um, the, the Lord's Supper is a very important time for the community of believers, and it's really that community that I just want to speak to for a brief moment. You know, when I was a child and I was in Sunday school, I remember... Uh, you know, lessons on this very lesson in Jesus and the money changers. And there was a part of me that said, yeah, Jesus, that's right, go get them. And now as I've grown older and I look on this passage, I realize that more times than not, I am the money changer, I am the priest, I am the person who has fallen short of the example uh, that Jesus Christ has set for me. And so, you know, it's kind of in that mindset that 
I'm very thankful that Jesus came here to seek and save those who are lost. But I'm equally as thankful that our story doesn't end there. You see, if, if it did, um, I think it, would, it wouldn't do justice to the fact that while sin no longer has a legal hold on my life, I still have a very sinful part of me that I'm at war with. And probably at war with and, and am aware of that war uh, even more so now than ever. And if, in fact, Jesus had just left us there and had said, you're saved, here are my commandments, go live a perfect life. You know, when you really think about it, that life really wouldn't be really worth living. I think Paul, in, in Romans chapter 7, explains exactly what we're looking at. In, in Romans chapter 7, Paul says, you know, those things that I want to do, I don't do. And those things I don't want to do, I do. And in fact, I know what I want to do, and, and I just still can't do it. And he sums it up with really what is a mournful sentence, which just says, O oh, wretched man, who will save me from this body of death? You know, other um, uh, versions say, pitiable, unhappy man. And that really would be where we find ourselves if our instructions were to go live a more perfect life. But see, that's not where Jesus leaves us. And I think that's, if you, if you look at that wonderful pas uh, passage, that's not where Paul leaves us. In fact, that mournful sentence is followed by what I think is one of the most celebratory sentences in all of the Bible, and that is, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that really is what it's about, that we're not here to live a perfect life. We're actually here, and we come to the table this morning to acknowledge that we never will, but to thank and to celebrate the one who has and who has imputed his righteousness to us. And so this morning, I just want to say uh, that I'm very thankful that this is not Green Tree's table of communion, because if it was, it would, it would be incomplete. But this is the table of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's open to all of those that have called upon his name for salvation. In this table, we see reflected here just the perfect reflection of the cross. We see the elements in which Jesus is spiritually present. We're reminded of how his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for the remission of our sins. And again, we're reminded uh, to come to this table humbly with repentant hearts. But again, reflecting on what Paul said, I'd say with a spirit of joy and happiness and celebration. Because you're not coming up here to recommit to living a perfect life. You're actually coming to the table as you come to the cross, acknowledging that you never will, but celebrating the one who has and who has imputed his righteousness to you. If you're in your seats this morning and, and you yet have not made that profession of faith or you're still wrestling with those issues, um, the, the table is not for you. I, it's not to make you feel unwelcome. We just don't want anyone to come up here out of a sense of religious obligation. Because salvation is not found here in this table. Salvation can only be found through Jesus Christ. If you bow your heads with me, please. Heavenly Father, gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you have saved us, but that you haven't left us there. That you haven't given us commandments to pursue the impossible. But instead of just simply calling on us to acknowledge our failings, and to rely in faith on you for the provision of all things for us as your children. We ask now that you bless this table, 
In your name, amen. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. At this time, I'm going to ask our servers to come forward, please. Um, This morning, we will have servers uh, in the front and in the middle. Um, I'll ask that the congregation make your way up through the middle aisle, uh, take the element, dip it into the cup, and return to your seats uh, by uh, going down the outer aisle. Um, If you need a a gluten-free element, there's no need to come up front. I believe each of the plates will actually have those elements for you underneath the napkin. So with that, I invite you to the table. 